Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Hello and welcome to Counter Charge. It's me, Matt James, yet again. I'm Jeremy Duvall. And I'm Steve Hildrew once again. So welcome back. Um, I feel like I've spent an inordinate amount of time with Matt James recently. Recording podcasts, playing games, all to do with Halpy's Rift. And we're here for the final in our trilogy of uh, podcasts where we're looking at the balance changes in totally non-controversial, smooth sailing, easy listening. I hope you enjoy it. We're also going to cover some of the new heroes. We've been given permission just today to talk about the new heroes that are including the Halpies Rifts. I'm, I'm really excited about that. Matt, welcome back once again to the show. Well, yes. Uh, thank you, Steve. I think... Um Given the subject matter, and as, as you sarcastically put it, uh, a smooth sailing, non-controversial topic, uh, it might be wise of me to say um, to say hello, goodbye. <laughs> it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. And I've asked Jeremy Lund because Jeremy is like the, you know, the Buddha of countercharge. He's like the calmest. And there's me kind of like people like whine about stuff, and I people suck, and they're always whining. And Jeremy's like. Hey man, it's okay. It's just feedback, and everything's good, right, Jeremy? Like you're like the yang to my yin. Just, just trying to bring some serenity, some serenity now <laughs> to this, uh, this impassioned discussion. And in the end, the passionate way that we discuss this only shows how much we all love the same game. Right, exactly. See, he's, he's just like everything's fine. Jeremy's talking. I will start with um, a disclaimer though for people, which is obviously we're not going to cover a hundred. We're not going to sit and read out the book today right because that would be incredibly boring uh, and Manti don't like it when we read out their uh, material <laughs> online uh, wholesale so you know you're going to have a flavor of the balance changes today the plan is to cover kind of the main themes of that the rules committee were either decided to or were tasked with addressing okay so you're not going to get 100 percent of the changes so i just advise you not to fly off the handle if you hear something oh, that's outrageous it's completely unbalanced and totally broken uh, and my advice is to try before you cry. And also because I find it really irritating when people whine and then Jeremy has to talk me down off the ledge again. Right, Jeremy? And you just never know, Steve. I remember when the cock came out where you could uh, teleport Ilona behind your enemy line. <laughs> right. And that went for like a week and a half. That was like, oh my God, this is so broken. Every list is going to have this. And it ended up being like two weeks that people did that. And then it wasn't a part really in competitive play after those first couple weeks. So once these things get released to the wild, right there's always going to be some stuff that maybe uh we didn't see or that we saw wrongly so you know don't don't give your final opinion until you've you've played with the changes i I would like to echo what what jeremy's saying there you know we are going to be just scratching the surface so we're not going to discuss every balance change that's been made we're not going to be discussing all the heroes that have been made like steve said we will just be giving you a flavor so there might be things that we discuss in here that may be you, you, you might have an opinion of one way or the other in isolation, but actually there might be other things that kind of balance that back out again uh, once you look at the, the, the book in, and look at all the changes in there. So, so yeah, uh, just use this to get a bit of a flavour, to anticipate a little bit of what's coming, but it's by no means a 
a full run through of what you'll find find in the book. Yeah. So um, starting off at, at the beginning, I suppose, you know, was the, the original intention, Matt, was to have uh, two books, right? There was going to be a campaign book and then a balance change. So talk talk through kind of how that kind of panned out with the whole pandemic and everything. Well, I, th- I think you just have, Steve, really. Essentially, yeah, it was uh, it was originally going to be, you know, the um, the campaign book, uh, do the summer campaign. Um, and that was what was originally mooted back at the start of the year. That's something to look forward to. And then we were going to do a, a sort of fairly standard affair for, for Clash of Kings. Obviously, you know, there wasn't much point in doing a summer campaign when no one's been able to play games throughout the summer. And, and so, yeah, the, the, the release obviously got pushed back to now. And so it's been sort of merged in, into the one book. Cool. Talk a little bit about, I'm curious, I know, you know, with all this COVID craziness, right, we haven't really had the sample pool, right, when looking at balance changes. I mean, we've had some UB tournaments, we've had just a very sprinkling of in-person games. Um, sort of what was your guys' thoughts when looking at balance changes, trying to trying to take what limited information we have? How did sort of the that COVID umbrella affect you guys when looking at what needed balance changes? Well, I mean, it's, it's not just the fact that it's, you know, been a, a really disrupted year on the tournament scene due to the, the ongoing problem that we all face. It's been a, a, a sort of an, another thing to take into consideration is that this is also the first year of the edition. So often it takes a while for these uh, crazy builds or these things that are a little bit too powerful or not good enough uh, to really kind of come to the fore and so it has been difficult obviously we weren't ever going to go crazy and make loads of wholesale changes one year into the edition you know if you look at previous versions of game version two and you go back to the first clash of kings book that was released for that there wasn't many pages of actual unit changes most of that book was all about sort of running tournaments and campaigns and leagues and all that sort of stuff and then the following Clash of Kings book was all the uh, all the follow-up lore from the Edge of the Abyss campaign. And yes, there were when that was when sort of new spells and new units started to come into the game along with, with formations. And then the third, I think there were three in, in second edition. It might have been four, so I might be wrong on that. But then the final one was obviously you had all the new spells, different scenarios, and you had all the, the sort of new units that because Vanguard came out around about that time. So we had all those new models to kind of put into the game uh, and we put the siege rules in as well. So I think it's very difficult in the first year to go and make as many changes as you would in the final year or, or sort of mid edition, um, because you need a while to find out what those are, what, what those things that need changing are. But yes, it has not been made easier by, the fact that there have been a limited number of games to kind of base our base our changes off of. Obviously, um, if we were to make wholesale changes this year, then I think there might be people that were would be kind of a little bit annoyed, maybe that we would they, they or, or at least justified in turning around to us and saying, "Well, what's your justification for making those changes?" and you know we would potentially struggle if we did make wholesale changes that said the UB tournaments have been fantastic for us because we have kept an eye on them all even if and I didn't take part in any of them but I know uh, for example Elliot did 
I think Pat did as well and, and, and Mike. And I was just kind of observing and talking to people and, and keeping an eye on that side of things. Um, and at the start of the year, there were some uh, some physical tournaments as well, some some in-person tournaments that we had some some data from as well. So the UB tournaments have been a bit of a lifesaver for us because I don't think we'd have known what to do had they not taken place. So I just want to give a big shout out to anyone who's run the UB tournament. I know um, Mike from Dash 28 has got, uh, it's always sunny in Panathol going on at the moment. And obviously, massive thanks to Adam Padley for getting getting the call to arms tournament up and running right at the start of the pandemic. So I think that kept everyone going and kept everyone uh, interested in playing the game. So big thanks to those two guys and, of course, anyone else who has run a UB event during this time. Um, it's been really good to see and, and watch, even if we've not been taking part. So big thumbs up there. Uh, and it has been a massive help. So, yes, it, it's been a sort of been a situation where we've looked at what's been doing well in those tournaments and what, what's been kind of strong. You know, not everyone can win these UB events, but we've, we've looked at kind of some of the extreme builds that we've seen and we've potentially made some changes that that might kind of balance those a little bit. So, yeah, that that's kind of where we, we've gone with it. And it is it's kind of kind of all we could do this year. Yeah. Were you worried that producing balance changes based on things like universal battle data might be skewed because people can take lists in UB that, you know, they're very unlikely to take to or to take or to run in real life. And I ran lists that there's no way that I would take in real life. Is that was that ever a worry for you guys? No, no, not at all. You know, if the way I look at it is actually the opposite is that if you've got something that's working really well on UB, then you've kind of proved the concept works. So, you know, you might have been thinking, well, I'm not going to paint a thousand scarecrows or something. It just, just on the off chance that it works. But once you've tested it on UB and you know that it works and you know that it's, it's a really solid list or, you know, whatever unit it is that you're just going to run a whole army of and you're going to, going to just kind of go board edge to board edge or, you know, maybe it's a very elite build, but you, you're just running all of the same unit. You might actually look at that and then think, well, yeah, I know it works, so I will paint it, and I've got nowhere to go because there's a pandemic on, so I might as well sit and paint it. So, yeah, actually, I, I'm not not worried about that at all. You, you know, if if things, these extreme builds that people wouldn't run in real life, uh, uh, you know, if the concept works and you be a concept's likely to work on the tabletop as well. So... I think it's a, it's a good opportunity for us to kind of examine uh, those extreme builds and, and just kind of figure something out. And just circling back, you know, shout out to Steve Forrester, who's been doing the all, Always Sunny in Panathor. And then, like you said, uh, Mike Atkins from Dash 28, they've been doing a lot of streaming. Um, they've had great streams from Call to Arms. We had the Northern Kings first tabletop Titans club challenge. And then they've been doing the Always Sunny and Panathor, which has been – a lot of people have been having a, a great time with that event. The one thing about UB you know, that's interesting to me is I wonder sometimes if there's build types or play styles which are easier to play in an environment where there is no clock or in an environment where you can auto-load copies of units – so I just wonder if not only, you know, if a UB meta is is its own thing or or what do you think about that? Do you think there's certain types of armies that are 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 
easily to be played at a high level within that sort of online environment? Potentially. I also think there's probably things that are harder to play in that environment too. Um, one of the reasons I don't play on UB is actually because the length of time some games have taken. I mean, I, I played one chap who, who will remain nameless, but um, we had like a 40-minute movement phase and I was sat there with, you know, just, just my computer screen and kind of just getting quite anxious that, you know, let, let, let's move things on. And then turn two, I could tell his movement phase was going the same way. So I actually went to the supermarket and did a weekly shop and came back and uh, was still moving. Was it, was his name Alex Coos, just out of interest? It actually was not. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> Shocking. It, it, it was someone else. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to call that person out. And, you know, from what I can gather, they don't play that regularly. So we'll, we'll let them off. But I needed to go and do something else while they moved because, you, you know, I, I, I couldn't sit there for that amount of time just, just kind of looking at it. So now if I do play on UB again, it will be kind of against people I know who are willing to set up voice comms. And- Most of the... Uh- uh, UB community is moving towards needing clocks. So I think a lot of the events moving forwards are instituting yeah. a clock. Or, and I think sort of the idea they realize that when you have unlimited limited time to make decisions, you get you get away from the sort of dynamic dynamicness of wargaming, right? When you can check absolutely every single millimeter of an angle, it's a lot harder to... I mean, part of playing a war game is that you have to capitalize on mistakes and try not to make them yourself. So when you remove that time element from it, you really lose some of that. So, I mean, I think I see a lot of UB tournaments, at least UB competitive play, moving towards an environment where it is timed. Yeah, yeah, possibly. And, and Mike's built that little uh, web app, hasn't he, where where you can um, run the clock for the both. Yeah, Mike Atkins on Dash 28, there is a clock tool. So if anyone's playing UB games out right now and you want a free service clock tool, there is one where uh, both players can essentially, you get a clock code and both players use that code and sign into the same web app and essentially can you go back and forth. So there is some community-driven dri- functionality of instituting clocks into UB. So I know for me, like in my UB stuff is, and, and you know, we won't spend too much time on UB, but I've just decided that I, I'm no longer going to enter in, load in blank UB bases anymore because it's something that I really don't do when I play live. So I've, I think just in trying to keep that in mind as we're you know thinking about competitive play, if you have been playing a lot on UB, just remember once we go back to live tournaments, you will have to be able to play within that sort of time, uh, time-driven environment. But yeah, and ultimately when um, things do go back to uh, to more more in-person events and perhaps less UB. You know, we'll, we'll take a take a look at what the um, the meta looks like then, and I'm, I'm sure if we analyze what's going on, we can work it out. So, yeah. So, so you guys have some stuff sort of that's that's on your radar, but maybe due to the time limits or basis of limited data, you said, okay, this is off the table as far as tweaking, but maybe there's some stuff that you guys are still sort of have in your coffer of might, might need addressing. Yes, definitely. So just while we're on the, the, the process of, of kind of how this book was put together in the previous uh, version that I worked on, which was the, the Clash of Kings 2019. So the final one of second edition, uh, was sort of just after I joined the rules committee and that started to be developed. So that was the first one I'd done. And, and on that one, Mantic kind of came to us and said, right, how many pages do you need to make these, uh, to make the changes? And that was how many pages we got, essentially. Then this year, because of obviously the situation where 
Mantic obviously had a lot of uh, stuff camp- planned for the um, the campaign book in terms of background, in terms of all the new heroes, in terms of obviously the uh, the Harpies Rift campaign setting rules that, that we talked about last week. You put all that together and actually it's right, this is what's left. So we went from being told how many do you need to this is how many you've got. And so we had to very much kind of prioritise what are the things the community dislikes about version three the most. You know, although we are only a year in, I think there are some valid things that do need looking at. So we kind of had to prioritise what what the community doesn't like and then what is perhaps the things that are too strong, too weak, what needs a helping hand. And then, uh, yeah, just it it has been a long and winding road this year uh, in terms of building these, um, these, these changes. And uh, we really have had to prioritise which ones we put in due to the limited uh, limited page space that we've got. But in some respects, it's a blessing because, like I said, we didn't want to go crazy in the first year of an edition anyway with, with balance tweaks. So it has worked out quite well. Like I said, if, if we'd have started making too many changes, then we would have probably ended up with people quite justifiably turning around and asking, you know, on what basis have you made these changes? This seems fine. But uh, uh, here we are. So, yes, there are things on our radar that we haven't been able to address in this particular book. But we felt that those things were kind of minor things that we didn't necessarily have either enough justification for or there were higher priority things that needed to be tweaked. So we've had to leave those for now. And, uh, you know, we will keep an eye on it. And come the next uh, come the next edition of the book uh, or the next balance update um, we'll take a look and we'll review those things again and maybe things have settled down and actually it's fine or maybe we tweak it but yes there, there are definitely still things on our radar very cool so the message is you know if your if your pet hate isn't addressed it doesn't mean it's not known it just uh, it might uh, might not have been the top priority at this time um, so uh, speaking of priorities, what we've done um, is rather than go through every change, we've simply we've pulled out kind of four themes of the changes that, that Matt's made. And it's probably worth saying that Jeremy and I haven't seen the changes. I've, Matt did show me some of them when I when I was around playing battle reports. But amusingly, my memory is so bad. I can only remember vague impressions. All I can remember is thinking, ooh, that kind of a noise. And I can remember one change to one unit. So this is going to be new for both of us. We're all finding out kind of together at the same time. But we'll go through each of the themes we've pulled out in terms of the the, the changes uh, that were made across all of the units. And then Matt's going to kind of give us a couple of examples and we'll, we'll, um, we'll go from there. So the first theme is uh, irregular. So, Matt, what was the original plan with version three for Irregular? What was it intended to do? I think it's twofold with Irregular. Some of the things that are made Irregular are made Irregular because Mantic want them to be Irregular. For example, if something doesn't fit the law and there shouldn't be an army of X, Y or Z that is in the game where you can just kind of spam one unit. If that doesn't make sense in the law, sometimes Mantic will say to us, you know, this unit needs to be a regular. I think a good example of that is potentially uh, uh, the Twilight Kin. So obviously the, the law there is that they are elves with Night Stalkers. So the Night Stalker elements are, uh, need to be summoned by elves, I think, in, in the law. So 
you know, it would be very strange from a law perspective to have a Twilight Kinami that was basically all Night Stalkers with maybe like one elf or two elves in it. Um, so that's why that that particular list is is that way around. But some of the uh, some of the reasons why uh, units are irregular are things that we've decided. Um, where, for example, uh, if you take second edition, for example, and you look at some of the lists that was really strong there, you, you could build a whole army of, for example, goblin spitters. And whilst that might be quite thematic with the law, actually it doesn't make for a very fun gameplay experience, in, in my opinion, and in lots of other people's opinion as well. Um, although there are some people who really enjoy running that type of thing you know you know i think the majority of people don't don't particularly like coming up against that that kind of army similarly for things like um some of your faster units for example fallen in, in varanga uh, they were made irregular because you've got that sort of alpha strike capability uh, and again you're kind of taking your opponent out of the game so we didn't want whole armies of, of that kind of thing really being in, in the game. Now, in hindsight, and this is kind of reflected in the book, I think potentially we met, might have gone a little bit too far with some of the changes. You know, some units had maybe a points increase and a nerf, and they were made irregular. So maybe, maybe we went a little bit too far with, with that in third edition, or maybe there's changes to the core rules, which actually mean that actually it wouldn't hurt too much if this unit was actually a regular unit again so we've looked to address that in the 2021 changes that are in this book and there is quite a big list of units which from a variety of armies are no longer irregular and i looked at i think mark cunningham put something up on fanatics a few weeks ago a blog post where he had uh, kind of worked out how many irregular or regular units each army had and whilst there's always going to be some variation in that, I think everyone now has six or seven regular units-ish. Don't quote me on the number because I'm working it out based on plus one of whatever Mark said. <laughs> or what I think Mark said in his blog post. But yeah. So it, it, it was, it was, that was kind of around unlocks, wasn't it? So one of the, so I'm a Twilight Kin player and there's always been a contention that, you know, Twilight Kin have very few unlocks, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, and the, the condition isn't that, that they're unplayable because they're clearly not. Uh, it's more that it reduces the number of list archetypes that you can run. Correct. It results in funneling. Exactly. So, so what's a couple of, like, give us a couple of examples of units that were irregular and are now regular. Well, we've mentioned Twilight King quite a bit. So yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, um, I'll mention this one because actually it relates to all three of the elves. So elves, Sylvan King and Twilight King. And that is that now... Glade Stalkers are a regular unit. Okay. So I've been running Free Dwarfs quite a lot, as you know, Steve, from the Battle Report. Yep. We filmed. Um, and I've been running a nice solid block of, of lots of rangers, basically, in the middle of my army. And I've been playing that. I've been thinking, actually, these these guys are all right. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're, they're decent. Um, they're, they've got good shooting. Uh, okay in melee as well and you know i looked at kind of what what they cost and, and what the um the glade stalkers cost in, term, in terms of points 
and saw that kind of elf players were crying out for a a four up shooting unit that unlocked essentially. We weren't gonna we weren't gonna go there with archers. But uh yes, I think it's gonna be really good that you can build a similar type of list to how I how I've been running my free dwarfs. Obviously with my free dwarfs I run lots of earth elementals and stuff like that around the sides, but perhaps with Twilight King you go with butchers or fiends or something along those lines. Perhaps with elves you go with drakens or more shooting with Silver Breeze Cab or Stormwind Cab or something along those lines. And maybe with the Sylvan Kind, you kind of do, do do the whole thing with the uh with with your uh, forest shamblers and push them up around sides to guard the flanks of this uh this shooty core of, of Glade Stalkers. So yeah, I think they're they're a really solid unit, the Glade Stalkers. On range damage output, they do roughly the same damage. So obviously they've got the elite uh, as dwarf rangers and yeah, I just think that's uh, uh, that they're obviously cheaper than dwarf rangers quite a bit by the time you take a few units. So yeah, um, a unit like that, they're expensive enough that you can't necessarily build an army out of them without some significant downsides to it. But they're good enough that they can form the core of an army that has a lot of other elements to it. And we want to be kind of taking the game in the direction where spam armies are not the be all and end all. And so I think this, this change by making Glade Stalkers regular gives those elf armies the option to take some really good shooting, but then they're still going to need to have a little bit more of a, a, a melee focus elsewhere on the table to go and finish off the stuff. We're going to fight the stuff that the Glade Stalkers aren't going to be able to shoot. So, yeah, I, I, I'm really massive fan of that change. I've been theorying out some lists to kind of follow the same archetype as my my Freed Wars. I know some of the other guys have done the same war, just or even just not necessarily looked at taking three or four regiments like I would, but maybe they're just looking at taking one and it's just something else that they can use to unlock other stuff which they haven't had before. So that that's a really nice one. Uh, another thing that we've looked at doing in regards to these uh, these changes is, for example, we've got, let's find a good one to discuss here, chariots. So when I was speaking earlier about, you know, we changed the points, we changed the... Oh, yeah, this is a big one. I've heard a lot of people going, oh, I've got all these chariots. In fact, I've got all these chariots sitting on my shelf waiting to do something with them, right? So we haven't done it for every uh, chariot type in the game um but uh, again it's so- something that elves are getting i'll run through a quick list of what what chariots are now regular it's uh essentially elves empire of dust goblins uh skulk raiders from orcs so orc gun line could potentially be a thing now which would be very strange and the basilean sisterhood panther chariots they're all all regular again now because i think chariots were were something that Back in the last edition, I know people could run that Twilight Kin army, which was basically three hordes of chariots, three dragons or whatever it was. And, and yes, the, the chariots were something that were very powerful in second edition. And it was a case that really an army of chariots with a few dragons in isn't representative of, of a rank and flank game or what, what mounted division for the game is. So we kind of looked at how we could change them in second edition. And it kind of never made sense that a chariot horde, which is essentially six models, 
where you've got what was a what was a chariot horde, what's now a legion, I should specify in version three. You would have six chariots, of which there would be two guys per chariot. So there's twelve guys on on, on the actual chariots themselves. One would be sort of steering the chariot, and the other guy would have a bow, and that was putting out 18 shots per turn. It just didn't feel right, so we kind of tried to change the feel of chariots, obviously with the new unit sizes that are available as well, because you can now go four wide. And I just think we've we've looked at it, we've realised that actually chariots, if we let them loose and put them back, if we if we put them back into lists as a regular unit, it wouldn't necessarily be a problem. So we've opened that up again, and it's given unit given armies like say goblins and orcs. Empire of Dust 2, uh, a few extra options in terms of what they can take and then unlock other stuff. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased with those changes. I think it will open up some some variety in those lists. Yeah, I know two of the ones you mentioned really were ones that I heard a lot of player feedback on are those players, goblin players who use chariots as their unlocks and then the Empire of Dust players who use mm-hmm. chariots for unlocks. So I know those two specifically were list archetypes that were changed where people couldn't play their second edition army anymore, you know, just because their models were still in the game, but they weren't able to actually field those armies based on the unlocks. Yeah, when an edition change happens or even an update like this, there's going to be something, some things that naturally change and will change how your army looks. But I think I think we've had a year now where we've looked at and we've realized actually it's not going to be a problem to allow it back in, so let's allow it back in. And then I know one of the reasonings, or one of the sort of apparent reasoning for some of the irregulars was not only to maybe curtail certain army builds, but also uh, maybe not make it so obvious which units you should ally or not ally. So w- with the increase of these units no longer becoming irregular, was there anything done to sort of, on the ally section about a unit's regular now, but you can't take it as an ally, or is there something like that happening? There is one unit, which I'm not going to name here because it will get a lot of people very excited, where we have said, yes, you can take it, but you can't take it as an ally. Um, so okay. it's, no long- it's got a note next to it that says, this, this unit is no longer irregular, but it may not be taken as, as an ally. So yes, we have looked at that. That, that. that does only apply to one unit at this particular moment because it, it was one that we saw allied in quite a lot in uh, in second edition have, have a wild guess yeah well don't don't <laughs> say it on the on the air steve uh you can pm me a message later or something and i may be able to confirm deny or pass no comment but yes i, I think it, it'll be good for the uh the parent army if we like to get back uh that unit in the uh, in the actual game cool so you did mention some stuff on shooting and i know shooting is the great debate right some people who love, love it as a play style some people who hate it as a play style i mean it is frustrating to sort of get shot off the board but yet i'm all for, i'm never i don't like to take away i play styles from people i'd rather in, give them play styles, but give them tools or tweaks to, to sort of deal with that. I know there was some, uh, as far as what early testing we've had, you know, mortars, heavy mortars are too good or this, that, and the other thing. Can you speak to a little bit to your philosophy as far as you mentioned it already a little bit with some of the four plus units becoming regular, but anything you want to share with us sort of revolving around shooting in the update? Um, yeah. So 
I th- what was the name of that tournament that everyone it was over in the states and I believe it was in the southeast region as uh, Siege of Augusta yeah Siege of Augusta yeah so that tournament happened and this was back before lockdown uh, I remember it was I think January or February time and I remember I was, I was away with work and I was in a hotel and my phone just kept going ding, 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 ding. And it was just people talking war engines. War engines are crazy. War engines are the most disgustingly broken thing that the game has ever seen. And I think there was some some stats to back that up. Uh, and it is not fun to get shot off the table. I've, I've spoken before about, about how, you know, this, this game is... It's an I go, you go game. So the situation we have is that if you're able to kill your units before you uh, kill your opponent's units, sorry, before your opponent does anything, whether that's through shooting or um, sort of these alpha strike fast units, then actually there's only one play- player playing the game. And that's not fun. I know some people might say, yeah, I don't mind being shot off the table or I really enjoy using shooting lists, but I don't think it takes much skill to sit there and point at units and, and then roll dice and watch them evaporate. Um, to be perfectly honest, I get personally speaking, I get much more satisfaction playing an army that is either balanced and has got a few bits of bits of shooting in it where, yeah, I might do some chip damage to the opponent before I then engage, or I might use the shooting for anti-chaff to allow my, um, my hammer units to get in. But I always take a bit more um, satisfaction from games where I've had to think about what I'm doing in terms of checking angles and checking arcs and making sure I'm not going to get flanked and using units and actually engaging in that movement phase and, and having that two-way two-way game going on with my opponent. Whereas when I've, when I've run lists that are killing things before my opponent gets to roll dice, whether I've won or lost, hasn't really felt fun or given me any satisfaction so but that's that's just my personal view and you know other people are perfectly entitled to their their opinions on that but there was a lot of of noise after that tournament about war engines and their prevalence in the game and it's something that we've kind of monitored as the year's gone on so there's that there are some tweaks to war engines there is a there is a tweak to the ignores cover rule war engines receive a, a slight little uh, slight little nudge down i think the uh the issue here is that there was a lot of noise created after that event and like i say we we did review everything that went on after so we looked at um, our own personal experiences playing against those types of lists i came up against i went to beachhead and came up against a abyssal dwarf list it had three of the mortars and a few other bits of bobs of shooting. But I'd, I'd taken quite a lot of individuals in my list, so I was able to use terrain to hide my stuff and go after the war engines. And then once they were out of the way, I could move out of the terrain and um, or, or get, you know move my screening units out of the way so that my, my proper units could actually get down to business. So, yeah, I think there was a, a lot of noise, as I say, coming out of that event about war engines. I think it was a little bit overboard to begin with. However, there is, you know, clearly still a problem there. So perhaps we um, we didn't go as far as some people might have liked coming away from that event. 
but I think the changes that we've made will potentially tone down war engines just enough to the point where they're still playable, but uh, you know, to just give them that little nudge in, in the right direction. And the change that we've made, which applies to them all, um, is that actually the ignores cover rule now only only actually ignores cover unless your unit has half their base within difficult terrain. So there is there is a counterplay to the war engines that have ignores cover. You can move your key units into the terrain. Perhaps when you're playing something like uh, a pillage or, or loot, when you're placing tokens, you can look at putting those tokens in the terrain and then making a play for those so that then those war engines are hitting on six rather than five. So yeah, that, that's a little change that affects all war engines. I think it's a, a good one. And then we have also given a little nudge to some of the more popular war engines, shall we say. Yeah, because I think, you know, you bring up some good points where sometimes, like, opinions on the internet, uh, it's like, oh my gosh, it's a four-alarm fire, the whole country is burning down, or when they're talking about a rules problem, but often there is, you know, there's that saying, you know, well, there's smoke, there's fire, and that I think that there probably is some truth to that, because in the end, I don't think you want to have feel-bad moments. And even though like a war machine army is not going to win every tournament and it hasn't won every tournament, you look at all the UB tournaments and it's not like it's a dominating list and that it's winning every tournament. The issue is it's not fun to play a game where you can't do anything, where your opponent's going to either going to roll his dice with his war machines. He's either going to hit and kill all your stuff or he's going to miss. There's no, there's besides the individual play and some counterplay, there isn't a lot that you can do, but just, move forward and then just hope that he misses. So at least this train dynamic gives you a, a, a layer of strategy that you can now have at your disposal, disposal to try to deal with those. Units. I mean, when, when facing gun lines, if a powerful gun line, anyway, um, you've either got the tools to deal with it or you haven't. And if you haven't, it's a very boring experience. Uh, and so, yeah, we've, um, we've looked to, to knock that down a little bit. I will say as well, in addition to the, um, uh, the irregular changes so now that elves do have their regular four up shooting unit there are a couple of changes to a couple of other armies where we've actually gone the other way and buffed their shooting either by you know making their units irregular or for example with dwarfs there is now i think a very good reason to take a warsmith which we won't go into here but in the, um, I'll just say to, to the dwarf players out there, I've never ever seen in five years of playing Kings of War a warsmith on the table, and um, it will be it would be good to uh, to see this guy because he's got some nice synergies with some more units now, so it, it'd be good to see that. So yeah, uh, sh- shooting is back on the table, but I I still don't think you can build an army list that solely revolves around shooting i think at some point you're probably going to need to have some units that can uh, put up a bit of a fight in melee and uh, deal with those tougher targets that your shooting can't because i like i like the, the idea of pot shot and the addition of that in third third edition but i think there's still some units like you mentioned dwarves and iron watch rifles and stuff like that where you just still don't ever see ever you know uh-huh. so uh I'm curious to to uh, my my ears are percolating with the uh, the possibilities there. 
<laughs> right? Because my unpainted army that I've got of dwarves is about, I don't know, 40% riflemen. I've never taken them out because I have nothing to do with them because rifles are so terrible. Please don't make me paint another army. I really just... Uh, God. Anyway, should we move on? Well, as far as this, this change goes with regards to dwarves, I'm happy about it. I feel fine about it. It's uh, it's something I think will be quite popular and, and potentially will bring a couple of the units you've just mentioned um, back onto the table. Awesome. Russell, if you're listening, do you want to paint my dwarves for me? Cool. So speaking of dominating armies, which we see at the top of every tournament, there is one list which has been uh, uh, pointed at as uh, overpowered more than any other, and that is the meek, mild, undead. Um, and the tournament data we have now kind of tends to back up the cries around a little bit overpowered. So I think we'd be unsurprised if nothing changed for undead players. So talk a little bit about how, how did you go about the faction that kind of everyone loves to hate? Yeah, so um, we'd been obviously keeping an eye on the situation and we'd heard some uh, some murmurs from the community that certain people were running certain units and, and going quite hard with those. Uh, and taking armies that were, you know, nothing but a certain unit and, you know, a few sort of support casters with, with, a, with a certain spell. And so, yeah, I mean, when um, it's interesting, actually, because when the new guys came on to the, uh, the, the rules committee, it was one of the things that they were quite keen to have a look at because they, they for the first time, were seeing all our, our spreadsheets, which we talked about in the first podcast we did, Steve, uh, which is still available on Counts Charge. If you, any of you haven't listened to it, you should probably go back and uh, give that one a listen, as well as the Halkies Rift one, which was uh, published last uh, last Sunday. See what I'm doing there for you, Steve? Keep plugging the uh, the previous. Much appreciated. We we need we need the extra listeners. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. Good. good. Um, so yes, we were aware of, of some issues, and the new guys that came in started looking at our documents that we've got. You know that there were potentially some. Um, some inconsistencies with, with the way that we pointed a couple of units there, uh, which, you know, they, they were quite quick to point out when, you know, it almost looked like an error in, in some respects. But no, it, was, it wasn't. We just got it wrong. <laughs> um, it wasn't a typo. Uh, let's put it that way. We, we just just got it wrong on the cost in there on a, on a few of the units. Now, one of the things that we are allowed to do in this edition is to change points costs and there are some units in the game that have actually gone down in points. There's a couple of Twilight King units that have gone down in points. And Yay. there are there's a so no, there's a forces of nature uh unit that's gone down in points as well. So yeah, I think previously in in a, in the last edition, if, if we go back to the example of the Fallen uh, in Varanger. They actually had their Pathfinder stripped away and it completely changed the way the unit worked. And it kind of almost uh, removed them from existence. But actually, I think sometimes changing the points is a better approach. As, as long as, we, you know, we're, we're not talking about a 50% increase on, on the cost of the unit here. We're talking 10, 15 points here or there. Because those 10, 15 points, if it's a, a unit that's under-costed, by the time you've taken a whole army of them, actually, you've got 10% more points than your opponent on the table. So it's a better way of dealing with those changes without making, uh, w- without changing the role of those units. 
Uh, and so it kind of brings them back into line a little bit. For some of the stuff, we've actually changed special rules still where we feel that's more appropriate. But yeah, where, where we feel that there's a costing error and that's the, the best way of dealing with it, we can now do that. So um, yes, Revenant Cavalry have gone up in points. Uh, that was one of the units that we were seeing a lot of. We've reduced the on several casters in the game, um, but particularly Undead, we have reduced the amount of dice that Drain Life casters get. So that is now not as a, an effective build as we were once seeing. So yeah, I think that has been brought back into check. I think there's probably still some very, very good builds with Undead. Even with, with those changes, there is a change to the Revenant King on the Undead Great Flying Worm because previously you could just kind of take him, stick the Brew of Sharpness on him, and he was still cheaper than a lot of the dragons and he'd have exactly the same damage output. He'd be fearless. And that, that just didn't seem right either. So we have uh, we have made some amendments to him as well. So, yeah. Sorry, Undead players. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, it all kind of needed to be uh, to be brought back into line, and so so we've uh, we've we've done this, and we hope that this kind of eliminates some of the bigger problems that the undead army has. I mean, I know undead players that are like, do you know what? I'm I'll play undead, but I don't want to get my army out at the moment because they're, you know, I've got a few of these things that I would normally run, and I feel dirty doing it, so. Um, hopefully those players will be happy to get their their army back out. And um, you know there are a couple of other changes which we won't touch on here uh, to undead, but uh, those are sort of the main ones, the main known problems. When you have a Clash of Kings update books, it's always the spectrum, right? You have the changes that are on like the each side of the bell curve, and you have the ones in the middle as far as expected by the players, right? Some. Mm-hmm clearly expected that we don't get some that are expected that we do and some that we get that we didn't even have seeing. And I think most undead players will tell you that rev cav value wise is one of the best units in the game. So a, a, a slight increase to points, you know, like you say in that five, 10, 15, whatever you want to say, that sort of balance yep. tweak point size. I doubt many undead players are going to see that change and be like, what are you guys talking about? This is crazy. I mean, I, I think most, most undead players who are sensible about the game realize just how, how cheap those rev cab units are and what value they yeah, give you. I, I think the only players with any kind of complaints about that will be people that were, banking on running a whole army of them and you know that that they're also the reason why we've done it so it it is a bit of both you know there is a bit of give and take there but yes it's not fun to play against an army that that was had all that high nerve high speed high attacks and then you could barely kill it because it had all the drain light there as well so yeah it's uh, a, a change that i think most will see for the positive but you know we're never going to make any every, everybody happy with these changes. There's always going to be some people that are annoyed by some of them, but that that's the nature of change in any walk of life. So there we go. Yeah, I mean, and then also too, I mean, the other side of that is change keep things fresh. And I always like would say yeah. this back in second edition that if we didn't have any of the Clash of Kings updates books, uh, and I'd often say this to be like, I think when when you have uh, feedback or critiques, you can uh, deliver those in positive ways. But often just the white noise, I call it, of people just complaining or about for no, you know, without any sort of metrics or idea behind their mm-hmm. thoughts. 
I'd often say, or my response would be, just imagine if we had to play the same game for three years in a game environment where new army books aren't released every two or three months. You'd be bored out of your mind. Yeah, it would have killed the game. Yeah, so I think these changes, even if you agree or don't agree, are you're somewhere on that again on that spectrum. I think that for the under the sort of greater aggregate as far as game health, it's really positive. Yeah, I mean, do you? Well, first of all, I've got a couple. Of, I know this is kind of changing the way things are supposed to work on this podcast, but I guess I've got a couple of questions for you guys. Um, are either of you surprised by any of the changes I've mentioned so far? No. One thing that comes to my mind is I'm curious, and I always thought four plus piercing one shooting or four, four plus shooting was underutilized already in this edition. So mm-hmm. I'm really curious to see the sort of the one thing that jumps out at me so far is I think there's going to be some really nice four plus elf or four plus Sylvan King backed up with battle mages. I think we're going to see some really nice effective shooting builds back from them. No longer is it going to be the double archer horde, horde you know, yeah. uh, but I think doing that four plus gives them. So that's interesting to me. I'm curious. I'm excited to see um, how that goes. But anything else? The the one the one thing I will say that we're we're, we're not allowed to talk about the mystery unit that uh, I have a feeling I know what it is. Uh, if that is the only change that unit has as far as it's uh, unlocking, I know people are not going to be happy about that. If we're uh, 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 talking about the same mystery unit, but other than that, everything you said makes complete sense to me. I don't know what okay. you think. Uh, so, so my que- second question then would be, you know, you just mentioned the fact that, you know, you, you've uh, the, the the changes freshen things up and keep things interesting and, and keep you playing the game, and it would be boring to play the same thing all the time. But if you think about it from a hobby point of view, you know, you might discover the the best army ever the first year of the edition do you really want to wait five years before you paint another model for you for the game i mean i don't uh, i don't know about you guys but i, I like to uh, engage in the hobby side of it as well um i'm not the best hobbyist but I, I i certainly like to have something a project on the go that keeps me interested and actually these updates have allowed me to do that well i'm a huge hobby guy and i've never uh, uh got and maybe Part of it is that I have a job that allows me to do it, but I've never understood the I want to be into miniature wargaming, but I don't want to ever have to buy models ever again now that I've bought them. I just have never fully understand understood that. So I agree with you. I think that w- when balance changes, maybe bring another unit out of your shelf or you can go. It gets you excited. You start thinking about color schemes. You know, you start thinking about additions to your army. So I have no problem with game changes causing me to get new units but i love buying models just look at my yeah. garage of shame but i don't know what do you think steve yeah i suppose well you know i've been reasonably vocal recently about about being a bit tired of painting models but that just comes in waves doesn't it everyone goes through this right. in the hobby whereby you know usually it's because i've painted a whole army and i'm like i don't want to paint any more armies but then as we're sitting here talking i'm i'm, I'm painting some some centaurs for a new forces of nature army so I just like to complain about painting a lot because I just want to do other things with my life. But it turns out that I do. I, I, I move on with it. And to be honest, that whole, you know, oh, there's a new unit. And I absolutely need to paint that model. I don't think Kings of War is that game. It's not that game at all. And I use my Forces of Nature army as an example. right? So I bought a set of models for Forces of Nature. And then I made a list out of those models. I didn't look at for I'm not the kind of player. And I don't think most people are the kind of player where you look at a list and think, right, I'm going to only take the 
S-Class, shout out Dash 28, models, and I'm going to build the most striking, powerful, deadly force. Actually, you know, what we've seen... What we've seen across Kings of War is that actually it tends to be the strength of the player rather than the strength of the list. It's not a list-building game. Yeah, I'm not necessarily referring to the strength of things, but it's nice to sometimes go, uh, you know, let's be honest, there are some units in the game that you look at and you go, actually, that's trash, I'm not going to take that, or it doesn't fit my playstyle, but actually, then a tweet comes around and you go, oh, yeah, maybe uh, maybe find a role for that now. Uh, and you get that little bit of inspiration to keep hobbying. Uh, and so I, th- I think, you know, these updates are really good for the game and for the hobby. Yeah, in terms of being surprised, no, not surprised at all with any of the changes we talked about. And actually, we managed to cover two of the themes in one. We said there were four themes, so theme four was war engines, but you covered it off in shooting. You, you've been a little bit too efficient there, Matt. So really exciting, um, having failed to bait Matt on any extra changes, is the fact that Matt gave us permission to talk about some of the new heroes which are going to help us. Just now, am I thinking, um, am I right in thinking, Matt, that these are not just for the campaign? These are fully legal for tournament. You can take these as part of the armies. They're like the balance changes, right? Oh yes, yes. Actually, just just yesterday, finished proofreading the uh, the book and uh, finalising some of these uh, hero stat lines. So yeah, they are all ready to go, ready to rock. And they are written with the tournament scene in mind. So, yeah. So, Matt, are they tied? Are some of the new heroes tied to the new two-player starter set, which was announced this week, last week, that's just come out with Rats and Goblins? So the whole thing um, ties into the lore of the, like the two-player starter set and the, um, the, the background of the campaign. However, yes, the, the heroes here are sort of the main protagonists that are going to Alpi's Rift and are going to be in the lore in the campaign. Uh, fighting over that magical power uh, and the planes and all the stuff we discussed last week. Um, but yes, the, uh, the there are two heroes in the uh, in the starter set which we can discuss. All right, well, well, let's start with the most important race, whichever you know everyone's favourite, which is Rakin, right? So tell me, tell me about the new Rakin hero. I'm excited. Yeah, so just just to start, I'll, I'll give you a little um, overview of kind of what the design brief for these was. Um, obviously, with this being a magic supplement a lot of these new uh, special heroes are wizards so it's it's a lot of new uh, named characters that are spellcasters and um, that will tie in uh, to the lore and, and what's going on there but yes the the racking one and um, the model is in the two-player starter set is twitch keenir and twitch keenir is an interesting little fellow he is a fearless racking warlock and he has the inspiring uh, special rule, so he's going to be able to, you know, be there alongside potentially. And um, if you want to take another warlock with a uh, inspiring talisman, for example, or you know, you might want to use this guy instead of a Arakin warlock that has got the inspiring talisman. So he could be quite useful in that respect. And the spells that he's got is he, he's got Bane Chant and Hex. But he's got a little ability built into his uh, Bane Chant. And if you remember last week, we discussed the in the Abyssal Plane, there is a magical artifact called the Cronius, or the, the Hourglass of the Cronius. Well, he's got that same ability built into his Bane Chant. So you Bane Chant a unit, and they get that same ability. And for those that didn't listen to that podcast, it's basically a uh, an ability which... After you've rolled and to hit, uh, roll to hit and to damage in the melee phase, you can look at it and you go, oh, "I only did six damage there. I was hoping I'd get eight. 
and you can discard the six and start again with the unit and, and, and see if you can get the eight or more uh, that you were looking for, or even roll worse. So he's got that kind of ability to uh, to kind of manipulate time through his um, through his stuff. He's got the, an artifact called the Eye of the Abyss, which explains how he how he comes about that and comes to find that artifact uh, in the law uh, and in the background there. So he, he's a really interesting uh, unit that I think will will be quite fun to use. Yeah, he sounds awesome. He sounds ludicrous. And so, who's his goblin adversary? That sounds really cool. Yeah. So the uh, the goblin, her name is Grup Longmail. Uh, so we have a female goblin whiz, which is really cool to see. And she essentially isn't so much of a wizard in terms of spells. You know, she actually doesn't cast any spells. What she does have, though, is a pair of shock gauntlets. And I saw that model, and I knew what they were going to do with it. And so uh, my, my my big worry was, oh, my God, Mantic want uh, to give uh, give goblins yet another little annoying individual for, you know, you're going to take three whizzes with lightning bolt, and you're going to take three bangets and three, you know, trombones and three of this, and, you know, and then you're going to be able to take this annoying little thing on, on on top so actually what we've done with her is we, we, we've given her a spellcaster level so she's going to get channeling dice and all that sort of stuff when you use her in the campaign which is really cool but she's actually like a mini grokakamok so these shotguns um, in, in in the background it doesn't sound like she's got great control over where she points these things or, or how she's able to direct the energy from these things so we figured actually point blank range was probably the best place for it so she's she's actually a melee whiz, and uh, has uh, has blast D three on her melee attacks with crushing strength one. She's also got duelist, and when she uses those shot gauntlets in melee, her target, um, if wounded, will actually have the same sort of effect applied to it as the weakness spell. So again, a, a very um, useful little individual there that can go in uh, potentially swing some melees and. Uh, also keeps some, some things alive while she's at it. Awesome. And so those those two are going to have models, uh, or you could use the model sort of coming out in the new expansion to play play with those. What are um, you said you had two more to share with us? So why don't you take us through the first one of the the bonus bonus two content? Yeah. So uh, there is an elf. I mentioned Steve on the last podcast when you asked me about if I could share any of the details. I, said, I did say one was an elf. You said one was an elf. That's all you would give me. I'm like, oh, geez. Yeah. Oh, go on then. What's the elf? So her name is Nimue, and she has the Cloak of Death special rule. She's also inspiring to anything that's a tree, basically a verdant special rule, uh, or verdant keyword, I should say. And she's got a little special rule called Wonder of the Ways. So her, her background is like she's kind of, I'll probably butcher this, but she kind of wanders between the, the planes and is is a little bit directionless and a little bit of a, a high, sort of got that high school dropout kind of um, vibe going. And yeah, she she's got this ability where she can kind of go between go between worlds and walk between different different planes and all that sort of thing. So to represent that on the battlefield, what we've done is we've given her a similar ability to uh, Magnilda people will know from the Varinger list where you've got that one use only fly at speed 10 and when Nimue uses it she could still cast turns even if she was given an at the double order 
and she's got some spells and obviously with Cloak of Death, you could potentially get her to to go and do, you know, some some things that are going to be a real nuisance to your enemy um, just by plonking her behind the lines and, and, and being a right pain. So, yeah, she's potentially quite interesting. Uh, so I'd be interested to see how um, how she performs on the battlefield. Yeah, to me, that sounds like because there's always that space in an elf list for uh, for a hero like a melee type hero. Typically it's an elven prince or an elven king or something like that. And actually she sounds like a more fun, kind of more versatile character to stick into that, into that hole, I suppose. It'd be quite fun to try out. Although I'm obviously just going to have all of my uh, archers lined up at the front there in my... Or your glade stalkers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so who's the who's the fourth hero? The fourth one I, I can share in, in any sort of detail. I will briefly mention the others, but uh, the fourth one's actually a pretty cool one for Empire of Dust. And his name is Sebek Ray the Accursed. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. So he's based off of the Cursed High Priest, but he's got the very inspiring special rule. So he's got that extra three inches of uh, inspiring. And then we all know at the moment, Dwarf Stone Priests have that ability where they can cast two spells in a turn. So they can cast the Surge and then they can cast the Bane Charm. Well, uh, Sebek Ray actually has a similar ability and his two spells are Heal and Surge. So he can uh, cast Heal on a friendly unit and then immediately Surge that same target. So that's going to be a pretty interesting uh, interesting guide for the Empire of Dust to use as well. Yeah, that's cool. You know, all those... Uh, I know people were a big fan of the Stone Priest, Stone Priest being able to do it. And then also, too, it's like that's thematic flavor, right? You have, like, your Pharaoh of not only is his presence reanimating his army, but he's pushing them forward. So that's a nice little, like, where gameplay meets theme. That's yeah, cool. yeah, that's what I really liked about him. So yeah, um, I'll just run you briefly through the others. Basileans have, have got a, a wizard um, who's got a sort of tie to anything with the angelic keyword, uh, shall we say. Um, we've got uh, the return of Bannock Kolan for the for the free dwarf. So he's now, I think, in, in both of the uh, the dwarf lists. Um, uh, we've got a, a Northern Alliance Ice Queen who's got some very interesting abilities attached to the Windblast uh, spell. There is a hero in the Forces of Nature list, also a kind of like a druid, and he's got some some pretty cool cool little rules attached to him as well. He's got an aura um, that will affect verdant units. Trident Realm, we've actually gone a little bit of a different route with this one. So it's not actually he has got a spell, but his primary sort of role is going to be more like a sort of assassin type unit. He's a he's a monster hunter essentially, and he gains some pretty cool rules in melee when he's attacking anything that's large, so large cavalry monsters. Uh, titans that sort of thing he's also got scout uh, so you can get him up the board pretty quickly and get some some charges in early there's a really interesting forces of the abyss warlock who he's he's actually got lightning bolt and uh he's got a little special rule there attached to that um which is which is really neat and it affects the number of dice he rolls for his lightning bolt in certain situations uh, and it does have a little bit of a drawback as well. So he's, he's kind of a, a, a interesting risk-reward type unit. Uh, Dravic Dalkin and Infernoc are back for the Abyssal Dwarfs, so Abyssal Dwarf players would be happy to see those guys back. Um, I will say that with the returning heroes from B2, don't expect the same profile. Uh, you know, there, there might have been changes when we've looked at them and, and potentially 
we'd have changed things around to reflect where they would best fit in third edition. Now, the Night Stalkers get a Banshee, but this Banshee is not a spellcasting Banshee, although she does have the Enthrall spell. But this is this is more of a melee Banshee and has some, some very powerful attacks and a really strong um, strong profile. Uh, it's also got a very neat little rule tied into the enthrall, which I think people will find very interesting and come up with some uses for. Uh, orcs have got, got, got a god speaker that uh, is kind of leading the orcs into the Halpy Mountains to try and attain this, uh, this magic stuff that's going on. And um, again, he, he's got his own unique special rule that's tied to one of his spells. And then for the undead, uh, so it's not all bad news for the undead on this this podcast. They've actually got a mod, a, a unit to represent the salamander necromancer that, that Mantic released. So that model's out there. And uh, yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a salamander necromancer. And he's got some uh, some cool spells as well. So some stuff that you wouldn't necessarily normally find in the undead list. And again, all these um, all these profiles that we've built have been kind of looked at in the uh, in the law, and we, we've kind of tried to match what they do on the battlefield uh, and in game to what the description was in the background uh, in the law. So yeah, I think um, it all ties together really well. I think people that are into the thematic side will like to read the law and use these guys on the tabletop to maybe represent something uh, that they like from the stories that they've read. And those that are not so interested in that might find a good use for these units in their army as well. So, yeah, really happy with it. Oh, I missed the ogre one. Yeah, there's there's some ogre. <laughs> some ogre guy. He's not important though. No one cares about ogres, right? No, no, no there's there's an ogre warlock who I um who's who's back from second edition. But yeah, like you say, nobody really cares about that. So. You know, we'll uh, we'll we'll move on if you like. Yeah, no, it's not important. Move on. Uh, not important at all. <laughs> I can't even remember his name. No, me either. I can't even pronounce his name, so that's all N- right. Nam 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 or Nam Nam, nam, nam or something along those lines. Does he have stride? Anyway, not important. <laughs> well, I I do know like the Dravic Dalkin and the Golem were a real popular fan choice, and yeah. I always loved. I always really like the flavor of their combination, so that's exciting to see them back. Yeah, and, and Bannock is able to run around in the, uh, the dwarf list now. Obviously, the three dwarfs had um, Kragoth and Kolan, but uh, yeah, they've now got Bannock that can just run around on his own. Yeah, I'm curious to see as the uh, as the season progresses, which tournaments are going to choose to allow these, which tournaments may not allow them. Because it's going to, you know. As always, TOs can choose like what what they want to have in the game. So, what's your thinking? Do you think you'll, tournaments will will see like using them, or or do you have a prediction on on whether or not you think you'll see these guys in competitive play at all events? Well, I think we'll see a bit of both. I think uh-huh. you know uh, most tournaments have allowed new units and new heroes and new stuff um, in the past when we've released stuff. So yeah, the, the heroes. Uh, are fine to be taken in, in tournament play and regular play. Again, it's, it's going to depend on what your list is, what your play style is, and whether these heroes offer anything in that regard, isn't it? So 
you know, it, it, it's going to be a little bit of both. There's going to be some heroes that you're going to see more than others. You know, we, we've tried to make them as balanced as possible. Uh, maybe some might prove to be too powerful or some might prove not to be powerful enough. But that, that's, you know, always the way these things things go. Um, we have done a little bit of testing with them, but obviously it's been difficult with COVID. So we tried to err on the side of caution a little bit with some of the profiles. But um, no, I think I think there's going to be interesting uses for them. Um, but it is going to depend on on what you want to run and what what your army is. And I wouldn't discourage any tournament organisers from from using this. You know, they they have been designed with that that sort of thing in, in in mind. And they're all kind of based off of. So how we design these sorts of things is we look at right. So take for example the um, Empire of Dust Guy that we just discussed. You know, we'd look at what the cursed high priest cost with the same spells, and then we would look at right. Well. You know, we, we, he's got this special rule on top and he's got this extra thing. He's maybe got some more nerve or a better movement stat or whatever it is. And we would kind of base them off of existing stuff in the game anyway, just kind of point them appropriately. So I don't think it's, um, you know, they're, they're going to be too far out of the, the realm of balance. But yeah, I, I would encourage any tournament organiser to allow it. And I would encourage all the players to give them a go or perhaps try writing a list where you can make the most of these guys and uh yeah that, that would that would be kind of my my thoughts on it and the idea if you have the easy army subscription this stuff will be loaded up to e- easy army around about around when the book comes out is that still a plan yeah so i'm literally gonna send greg at easy army over all the changes so hopefully when the book actually comes out and it starts landing in people's de- uh, mailboxes they can they can then log into Easy Army if they've got the paid version. I believe there's going to be a delay if you haven't got the paid version as to when you can access those things, which is fair enough, really. I mean, you 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 know, as as the phrase goes, you you get what you pay for. Um, and I mean, that's super cheap, and Easy Army is amazing. And to me, it's like just go subscribe to Easy Army. It's like that commercial yeah. for the cost of a cup of coffee a day. You could subscribe to Easy Army, where whatever it is, it's super cheap. So if you haven't subscribed to Easy Army, you should do it. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. So is there any other little changes or tidbits or anything like that you want to give us, Matt? Or are you basically saying, wait for the book? I'm saying that's, I'm saying that's your lot, yeah. That's your lot? Yeah. Oh, is, is this the end of our beautiful podcasting relationship for this year, Matt? I feel, feel a little bit sad in my heart. You know, you guys have a little bromance going on. It's just like, All what right. are you going to do now that it's over? No, I feel relieved it's over. <laughs> it's very much like all my relationships, one-sided. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I could totally see why, Steve, as well. You know. Yeah, it's, it's yeah fair enough. I am very demanding. So, I just say, you know, genuinely, thank you for your time. You have given a lot of time to Counter Charge, and you know, and over the last month or so and uh yeah best of luck for the new supplement i hope the whiners don't get to you too much and i hope that the the thanks reach you really yeah yeah i i, I agree and and uh as much as i do joke um for the most part it has been quite enjoyable to be here i hope people have really enjoyed the few episodes that we've uh, recorded i hope i've uh, given players enough of an insight to get an idea of what's coming but not so much that uh they know everything but I hope that everyone's excited for the Halkies Rift book. And yeah, I, I, I just really hope everybody enjoys it and gives everything in, in the book a little go. And, uh, I'd just like to say thank you to um, yourself, uh, Steve and, and Jeremy and Matt, who've joined us on the uh, the previous episodes. And thanks for having me. And I hope uh, we'll be back sometime in the new year to discuss something else. 
And I'll just say, if you know your 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 dream, the Pizza Jesus or Santa Claus or whatever, or you don't quite get the balance tweak that you want uh, coming out in the new book, just remember, um, obstacles are a pathway to mastery, and that this is <laughs> going to give you more tools, uh, or it's only going to give you more opportunities to learn how to use the tools that you have effectively. Uh, and just remember, you know, often when it comes to these balance updates, there's two, two sort of paradigms that come out, which is, you know, gratitude towards the RC for the fact that they do all this work and they do all this work unpaid. And then there's sometimes a, a, another group that is is of the thinking that, well, just because they do it unpaid doesn't mean that we should just go with everything they say and we sh- we, we, we still are entitled to our opinion. And I really think there is a, a, a an environment that we can create where we're thankful and appreciative to this group of players that really do spend so much time and spend so much work to make our game fresh and to make it exciting and to help foster its growth so it doesn't become stagnant and stale. But then also within that paradigm of being thankful to the RC, I think we can still give you guys positive feedback or give you critiques or give you suggestions. But let's try to do that in like a metric driven way or in a positive driven way of uh, we like what you did here, but maybe we do something else. Let's take the white noise screaming and let's like let's put let's 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 try to move away from that. Because I think we can we can live between those two worlds of being thankful for the RC, but still being able to have our own opinion or give feedback. But let's try to do it within this sort of paradigm of, uh, of being positive and realize that our game is so much more with these balance updates and the rules committee than it ever would be without. So that's like my, my two cents. Oh, that's a very nice uh, sentiment, Jeremy. It was kind of like the end of the Jerry Springer show, you know, where he leaves you with your <laughs> final thoughts. He's, after he's so wise, isn't he? He's uh, so wise. Next, uh, fighting each other over uh-huh. who's the daddy yeah. um yeah exactly you guys had all your stuff about what was said and thankfully it wasn't recorded and all your shenanigan talk and then now i got to bring us back down to our our core mission which is the uh developing relationships building community and being there for each other i'm just here for smashing face but you know whatever is good <laughs> And, and when are you going to start smashing your face, Steve? Oh, Jesus, you know what? You know, how many models did you have? You know, it's not, not even going there. I'm not even going. I would come there and smash face right now, but it's illegal for me to enter your house, just oh, so you know. No, you'll be fine. <laughs> so a big thank you to Matt for his time. And all there is left to say is until next time, keep... Keep countercharging. Count... Keep, Thanks I mean... for listening. And we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.